And I'm going to have Mary come forward now and, and read our scripture. Uh, we're going to be in John uh, chapter 11. If you have, it's printed in your bulletin for you, but if you have a, a Bible as well, you can open that up. Uh, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 26 is where we will be uh, this morning. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The Gospel of our Lord. Thank you, Mary. So we talked about over the course of the last six weeks or so, we're looking at the I Am statements of John. And we want to set the context. I'm going to do this every week. It may sound redundant if you've been here every time, but we need to remember where we are in the Bible so we can apply it correctly. So John is the fourth gospel in, uh, in the Bible. He was, John himself, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And the purpose of the book of John is this, to show that eternal life comes only through the Son of God. And it's to prove conclusively that Jesus, the man in the flesh, is the Son of God, and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. So as we head into the text, let's go ahead and pray, and we will uh, get into it. Father, we thank you for this morning, another morning where we get to come into your house freely, worshiping you as you have called us this morning. And Father, as we open your word, uh, we do pray for our own hearts, that we know that they are often hard, they are often turned away from you. And Father, we pray that you would enter in, that your Holy Spirit would change us through your word. Father, we know your word brings life because it points to the life giver, Jesus. We pray that we'd see that clearly this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so this week when I was looking at this topic of the resurrection and the life, that's the I am statement that we are in John today, I googled this, how to extend human life. I came back with 173 million results, okay? This is a hot topic, right? We don't want to die. We don't like the idea of death. We do all we can to avoid it, right? And rightly so. God values life, so we should. Let me list a few of the articles that I read the title of when I googled this. Here are a few. Finally, a regiment to extend human life expectancy. Another one. Ten simple steps to increase life expectancy. This is maybe my favorite. 
Humans could live up to 150 years, new research says, pushing limits of the human lifespan. There's something inside of us that understands that death was never supposed to be there. That as we're living, we're even thinking to the future as how do I avoid death? How do I make it further in the future? How can I live longer? And the tragedy is that all of us in the room, you and me, will all die. And that is part of our broken world that we live in. And actually, if we're truthful, when we look at the scriptures, we see that in our sin, we're actually born into death itself. And apart from Christ, we will remain there. We'll remain dead, separated from God. So this morning, I want you to think about this. How do you think God himself feels about this? How does God feel about death? He hates it, just like you and me. He he wants it to go further and further away. Because when sin entered, death came. But when Christ came, he brought life. So that's what we're looking at today. The theme we're looking at And I have an outline in your uh, bulletin so you can see kind of where we're going. The theme is Christ comes to bring life to the lifeless. Christ comes to bring life to the lifeless. And we're going to look at three things. The pain of death, the comfort of Christ, and the resurrection of life. So let's start from the top of the text in verse 17. We're going to look at the pain of death. And it says this. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So the narrative, it starts with explaining that Jesus' own friend, this was a personal friend of Jesus, had died. His family was in mourning. This was actually a public mourning. Jews from Jerusalem had come to comfort the family. And I want you to imagine the scene that Jesus walks into. There's crying and wailing and mourning over this loss of a loved one. If you've lost someone in your life, you know the sting, the agony, the pain that death brings. It torments our soul. Our soul knows that death was never supposed to be in the picture. And this, it knows that the pain of death, that, that reveals the brokenness of our world. So Jesus, this is the setting he comes into to say, I am the resurrection and the life. What a perfect setting in mourning and heartache and agony. He is saying that I am turning the chapter in redemptive history. I am the one who beats sin and death. It's important to note that the scripture says that he was, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. And the rabbinic belief of the time said that the soul would hover over the body for three days until it saw decay. On the fourth day is when decay generally came, and the soul would flee. And there's some debate if this belief was present, but it seems apparent that they're, they're pointing out that it's four days in our text. So either way, we see in the text that Lazarus is dead, and this death is irreversible. That's how the people are seeing it in the setting. In verses 18 and 19, we see that Bethany, the town that they're in, is very close to Jerusalem. And Jews have come to comfort the family. 
In, times, in that time, much like ours, this would have been a normal thing, right? For friends and family to come around ones that have lost a loved one, that they may comfort them. But not every villager received visitation from the Jews of Jerusalem. And this, this hints at the idea that, that this family was actually very prominent in society, that they're getting, they're getting visitation from the religious leaders from Jerusalem. But more than that, we see that God's hand is at work. That the Lord wanted this proclamation of what Jesus is about to say. He wanted it to be public, bigger than just a family of Lazarus. Amidst the the death and the heartache and the pain, Jesus is claiming to be the one that fixes it, and he wants that proclamation, proclamation to be public. He's claiming to be God. So there's no coincidence in the the stage that's set that where Jesus is proclaiming to be the giver of resurrected life. When the pain of death is real, when it's gut wrenching. He claims to be the giver of resurrected life. And he wants his proclamation to be public. It's good news, right? He's saying, I'm reversing your hurt. I'm reversing all the pain you're feeling right now. It is through me, Jesus. So in verse 20, let's look at this together. He goes on. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So this is the same Mary and Martha, if you know from the story in Luke chapter 10, where Mary sat at Jesus' feet, eagerly just listening to what he had to say, not scurried, calm, and listening to what Jesus said. And Martha was the opposite, right? We see in the text in Luke 10, Martha was active. <laughs> she was distracted by, by having to, to, to take care of the needs of the household when Jesus was there. We see a very similar picture here between these sisters. That Martha, she goes quickly. She's active. She goes to meet Jesus outside of town. But Mary, she remains at the house. But here in this text, you know, Luke 10, where we see that, that Mary is actually seen in the positive light. And she says, Martha, Martha, what? Listen, calm down. But here we actually see that Martha's response is the one that's painted in the positive light. This was a time for action. She wanted to see Jesus, and her pain moved her to get up and run outside of town to see him. And what does she say when she arrives? Let's look at verse 21. She says this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, you can take this text and you can hear a lot of things, right? That's why we need to understand the the context of where we are. This was not a rebuke of Jesus. Martha's not saying, Jesus, how dare you not be here? He's not saying that. No, these are words of grief, yes, but of faith at the same time. She's saying that my, my brother has died, my soul is hurting, and I know that you still have the power to save him. I want you to think about the interactions. These sisters who knew Jesus personally very well, he was a family friend to this family. I want you to think about the interactions that they probably had as Lazarus is heading towards death. 
They're probably saying, when will Jesus get here? When will he arrive? Is he going to save our brother? And when he died, if Jesus would have been here, he could have saved him. So when she meets him face to face, the words burst out of her lips, why, God, why? Why have you allowed this to happen? So many Christians... We, 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 we have a tendency to think that we can't share our pain and our hurt and our doubt of the, plan, of the plans of God with him. We can't turn to the Lord in our agony because it maybe will show distrust. But actually the scripture tells us that this is what we're called to do in 1 Peter 5, 7. It tells us to cast all our anxieties and troubles on him. Because why? We saw this in the Good Shepherd. He cares for you. He wants you to turn to him in your grief, in your pain, in your sorrow. And in Martha this morning, we get to see an example of this. Grief with faith remaining, both together. Martha says, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's essentially saying, help me to understand your ways, God. Help me to understand how you work and comfort me. So to all this, what Mary, Martha has said, how does Jesus respond? Second point is the comfort of Christ. So let's look at verse 23 together. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So does Jesus here, does does he turn on her and say, why are you questioning me, Martha? Why are you even saying this? Does he, does he get on to her for ha- not having enough faith? No. He comforts her with a quiet, slow response of comfort. Your brother will rise again. We see here that it's, it's always best for us to turn to the Lord in our anguish, to turn to the Lord in our hurt Because he doesn't respond in harshness. He responds in comfort. We call out to the Lord in our hurt, in our pain, and he brings comfort. And at the surface, Jesus' response could feel like a normal, orthodox thing to say, right? Oh, well, he will rise again on the day of resurrection, right? Death will not have victory in the end. The resurrection will happen and your brother will be restored to human life, to bodily life. And Martha actually confirms this assumption when she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So at first we can hear that, oh, he's just saying like a normal Christian thing to say. Oh, it's going to be okay. He will rise again. He will rise in the future. But she's not prepared for the the miraculous work the Lord is about to do. If you know the end of the story, you know that that Christ raises Lazarus from the dead physically. He brings not only comfort with his words, but comfort with his actions. And Chuck has mentioned this time and time again, that the miracles in the Bible get highlighted big time, but they're not the prominent narrative. If you think about it, they wouldn't be miracles if they were, right? If they were always happening, that wouldn't be a miracle. So in our text, even today, it's one of the most, the best known miracles in the Bible. We have to say that 
that the miracle is not at the center of the story. The giver of the miracle is at the center of the story. It's Christ himself that's bringing healing and renewal to a broken world. It is Christ who is the star of the show, not his works. His works and his miracles were always done to point to him as the Messiah. That was always the point. Remember John's John's purpose, to show Jesus conclusively as the Son of God. And his miracles are doing that, saying this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. So when we turn to Christ in pain, when we look to him for who he is and not for what he can do, that's what we're called to do. We're looking to Christ for who he is. We need him, not what he can provide. So in her agony, Martha cries out to Jesus, Jesus, why did you let him die? Help me understand. And Christ's response was comfort for her broken heart. Many of you have read some of C.S. Lewis's books, and I pulled a quote from one of his famous ones called The Promise of Pain. The Problem of Pain, I'm sorry. It says this, We can rest contently in our sins and in our stupidities, and everyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating will admit that we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. But he shouts to us in our pains. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Here in the text, we see that we know that pain hurts. We know that when true pain comes, our life starts to revolve around that because we can't get away from it. But at the same time, we know that God cares for us. And if you're like me, been in the church a while, an Orthodox Christian, you know, we could say that Christ loves me. He cares for me so much that he gave his own son for me. And last week I mentioned that I don't want that sacrifice to become mundane for us. Like that is a, a, a huge gift that we are given from God. So if he loves us this much, why is it hard for us to turn towards him in our pain and for help? Maybe we feel like, like God doesn't care or, or it's going to show a, a lack of trust in him. It, if, if I complain, isn't it showing that I don't trust God? In our text, Martha expressed, remember, both these things. She expressed grief and at the same time, faith. She's showing for us that you can do both of these things at the same time. It's it really all over Scripture, but the Psalms are one place that you can turn to a lot in lament. In Psalm 18, it says this, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. He desires to hear your pain. So approaching God with your hurt and your sorrow and not understanding why it's happening, that is okay. Do you know why it's okay? A few verses after the text we're looking at today, we see it. Jesus himself goes to the tomb, 
What's his response to death of his friend? He wept. Jesus wept, right? That's the shortest verse. We know everyone knows that because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. I have one Bible verse memorized. Jesus wept. (laughs) It's really easy, right? So we know that. Jesus himself in the flesh, he cries over the brokenness of the world. He sees death and says, this is what sin has done to my creation. And his heart is agonized over it. This is not the way things were supposed to be. So when you do the same thing, when you admit that to God, you're actually in the same vein as how God feels about death. So the call for us is to lament, at the same time have faith that God is in control. So turn to him in your pain, in your hurt. Know that he wants to listen. He wants to hear your hurts. Know that he will hear you and comfort you. So Mary cries out to Jesus with her pain, and Jesus comforts her. But what does he comfort her with? It's not just hope about something he's going to do. Let's look lastly at the resurrection of life. This is in verses 25 through 26. Let's read this together. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So in saying this, the main concern was to move Martha away from thinking about the abstract resurrection in the future. I don't want you to think about the abstract right now. I want you to think about the person in front of you. I want you to think about me, Martha. I want you to move your attention from this future idea to a person Jesus himself right in front of you. So Jesus actually reveals two different, we got to say this is two I am statements, kind of like we did last week, because he says that I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he actually explains those two different things in the verses following. So resurrection is, is in verse 25. He says this, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So that's explaining resurrection. Remember we said at the beginning that we're all born into death, and we will remain there apart from Christ, that we'll be separated from God forever. And it is only through the person of Jesus that a dead person can come alive. Calvin says this about this text. The whole human race is plunged into death. Therefore, no man will possess life unless he is first risen from the dead. Hence, Christ teaches that he is the beginning of to new life. So when you turn from your sin and rely on Christ's blood for your forgiveness, though you die, you will live. You are resurrected. Though you are dead in your trespasses, Christ cleanses you and clothes you in his righteousness and you are resurrected. You are no longer, you don't no longer have a death sentence hanging over your head. This is the resurrection that comes only through Jesus himself. So secondly, he explains what does it mean for Jesus to be the life. In verse 26, it says, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So here, when he says that everyone who lives, he's not saying that just everyone who's breathing. John in his gospel actually uses this idea of living as as having eternal life. So essentially, in the text, we could, say, we could paraphrase it and say, all who have eternal life and believe shall never die. Now, the first part, 
have eternal life, that stresses the internal work of the Holy Spirit that God only can do. That ha- those who have eternal life have been saved by God alone. The second part is a call to believe. It stresses the external stance a person must have towards God. So we, we must be called by God and believe in Him. That's what the text is telling us. And often when we speak of salvation, we feel like there can only be one participant that's actively being engaged, right? Like we, we, all, we think that it is only one person that is moving. Here we see this, that God renews the heart. He brings flesh to the heart instead of stone. And the person believes. So this is a, a great illustration of, of, of this, that the, the human freedom and sovereignty, God's sovereignty, they're not contradictory. They're actually compatible with one another. In the scriptures, we see that God is both sovereignly divine over his creation, and at the same time, humans are held accountable for their actions, and they have agency. Both things. In our human minds, those are contradictory, right? But the Reformed position actually really does state that God's sovereignty and our freedom mysteriously work together for salvation. When I was a, a bold Calvinist before seminary, I wouldn't have argued that statement that I just said right there because it's all God, right? It's all about God, His sovereignty. He's the one that chooses His people, and I believe that still. But at the same time, when we hang there, we, we negate the other part. That there's still a call to believe, a call to turn, a call to run to Jesus away from your sin. Now, God's role in salvation definitely is the prominence. It is the first moving that a dead person cannot come alive on their own. But at the same time, that does not negate our call to belief. Must turn from sin, have faith in Jesus. So for those who are called by Jesus, have eternal life and believe, what does it say will happen? You shall never die. Now this is speaking, not in physical terms, but in spiritual terms, that you will live with the Lord forever and He will never let you go. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Those who are called and believe will have eternal life with Jesus. So the call to us this morning is not to what Jesus can do for us here or there, it's actually to Jesus Himself. That's what He's trying to point Martha back to. Look to me. Look away from the abstract idea of all the good things that come with following the Lord and turn to Jesus himself. We see that it is Christ alone that we need. For us this morning, in your pain and hurt and anger, it is Christ alone that you need. If you're here and you don't believe, I would encourage you to think through these things because I would be doing you an injustice as your pastor to tell you that you can just live in your death and be fine. Because the, the scriptures paint us a picture that says we're all, we've all died in our sin. We're born into death. And we, ha- we need Jesus to be alive. So if you don't believe, I, just think through that. Think through what, what are you believing in that's going to have any worth for you, any meaning, any long-lasting fruit 
In Jesus, you are made alive and will live forever with your creator. As we close, I'm going to quote a recent hymn by the Gettys. It says this, My final breath shall be forever Jesus. When shadows lengthen before my eyes, my Lord and friend, companion through the valley, when my dearest ones are left behind, his hand will lead me to the light. So for all my days, when I meet his gaze, I will sing my praise to the King forever, Jesus. All my sorrows past, I am home at last with King forever, Jesus. Our text ends by Jesus asking a question to Martha. Martha, do you believe this? And that's my question for you, church. Do you believe this? Will you trust in him? Let us pray together. Father, we would remain in our sin and remain in death if it weren't for your giving of your own son. And Father, as we have heard your word, we pray that it would not just influence our hearts and our minds for a few moments, but into this week and on to forevermore, Father, that we would be growing closer to you in all of our lives. Father, we need you. We know that you are the author of salvation. You are the one that brings flesh into our hearts as they are hearts of stone now. And Father, we pray that you would continue to work amongst us here. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.